Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today I am extra excited, I know I often am, but today we get to hang out with my good friend and extremely talented, knowledgeable author who's just written her first book called Let It Go and her name is Emily Morgan. So Emily, thank you so much for coming back on. We've talked about delegation a number of times. You have an awesome company, Delegate Solutions, but now you've just written your first book, which I'm very excited about. And I have read the entire thing and it is so well-written. It's brilliant and it's wise. And I can't imagine a higher compliment that I can give to a book. So first of all, congratulations and welcome to Team Success again. It is my total pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So no surprise, the book is about delegation. (laughs) Your area of expertise, your unique ability. And the book is called Let It Go, which I think is a fabulous title. I want to start singing every time I read it. How to finally master delegation and scale freedom across your organization. And we're going to do a deep dive because delegation for a lot of people is kind of a thing they think they know. And they have kind of a neutral to negative... (laughs) You know, kind of impact on it. We're going to talk about how it's very different, how it's actually about maximizing your contribution and your impact. And more importantly, to my opinion, how to scale freedom across your organization. That's a big promise, but you really spell it out pretty brilliantly. So before we dive in, just give us a little bit of your history. I mean, you and I first met 10 years ago under very different circumstances. So fill people in between then and now. We did. I am one of those coach lifers. I started the program many years ago. I had just started my company and I was working as a virtual assistant and the woman, Heather Corcoran, was one of your clients and she was an executive coach and she said, hey, I'm doing this program. They have a program for assistance. Would you like to go? I'd like to pay for you to go. And I was like, sure. And so that's when I first learned about Strategic Coach when I was newly, my company's 15 years old. So I was probably about five years into business at that point, I was still the one doing a lot of the work with clients. And as my business grew, I grew as an entrepreneur and joined your signature program for many years. And then now I'm part of your 10X program. Woohoo! That's amazing. So you have been on all sides of this particular, I'm not going to call it an issue, but all sides of the circumstance. You've been a strategic assistant. So that was your initial business. Then you hire and market and provide strategic assistance for clients, and actually a lot of whom are strategic coach clients and for entrepreneurs. And I'm sure even in your own business, you know, you end up doing some of those types of activities as well. So what I love is you really do have this 360 degree viewpoint, having been on on all different aspects of it. So you, you know what works, you know what doesn't, and you know how you've had to shift your thinking to be a great, you know, someone who's really great at delegating. So you can really coach other people. Because this is not just an idea you came up with one day. You have lived it from every aspect. I eat, sleep, and breathe delegation. And it's my highest calling. The impact that I'm trying to make is helping people figure this out because it's such a transformational way to change how you're spending your time and how you're able to impact the world. So let's dive in and talk about that because I really love how you, this is about impact. One of the things I got more aware of is when I was reading your book was how we compromise the impact that we're making. We got caught up in, in busyness. We get caught up in comfort zones and we're not actually recognizing how we're sabotaging the strong word, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to re- we're reducing our potential positive impact on the world. But you kind of like peel the curtain across and go, hmm, shine the light on the fact this is actually what you're doing. So tell us, why was it so important for you to write this book? Why was it important to get this message out? Well, I think it's such a struggle point, especially for entrepreneurs. Like we're so consumed by being busy all the time and doing these big ambitious things and it all requires our time and our energy. And so the more that we can, one, understand it and two, protect it, the more impactful we can be. And I believe we're all here to make a really big impact, especially as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And what you also see is that when the entrepreneur is freed up to make a really great impact, but it's not just them, right? It's everyone in their organization. So talk a little bit about how to create a culture of delegation, which I found to be a fascinating term. Haven't heard it before. And I found it really interesting because a lot of times it stops with the entrepreneur, starts and stops rather quickly with the entrepreneur. But that's not your message in Let It Go. 
Yeah. I mean, the book actually was called A Culture of Delegation. We changed it to let it go at the end. (laughs) So I'm very connected to that phrase because I really believe that, you know, if we are elevating our time and we believe in the impact that that allows us to have, why wouldn't we want the same things for our team? Right. And so if we embrace this sort of culture of delegation where everyone's time is being elevated, our team's happier, our company's way more impactful than it would ever be on our own. And it's a retention strategy, which we're all sort of looking for fresh ways to do that right now when it comes to our staff. That's amazing. So let's dive into impact, which, you know, and you're in coach and we both have the same common language of unique ability. You talk a lot about unique contribution as well. And I love it. And one other thing, if if anyone is listening who's a coach client or part of our larger coach community, because we have lots of fans, which I love, is also if anyone's interested in freeing up their time, your book is like, this is a freedom of time strategy. I'm like, I was so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the very first freedom of our four freedoms towards having a self-managing and ultimately self-managing company. So it's freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationship, freedom of purpose, but it starts with freedom of time. Dan Sullivan has always said that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a how-to guide for freedom of time. I'm very (laughs) excited about that. So anyway, I know I'm throwing lots of things out at one time here. So let's talk about impactful contribution because the freedom of time part is because you're like, oh, okay, it's not our jobs as entrepreneurs to do everything. Our job is to do a few things ultimately that we're best at. So talk a little bit about impact and how people can figure that out because you have exercises in the book. Like you don't just say, oh, you have a way of making an impact and keep going. You actually give people a recipe for how to figure that out for themselves. Yeah, there's tons of exercises because I think like we need to be able to do the work and have some sort of outcome at the end rather than just like ideas. So we do mix that both in there. But I think, you know, unique ability to me is your God-given talent ability to do something. It's something like you're incredible at. Your most impactful contribution is really what contribution are you trying to make to the world to make the world a better place? Like, what are you called to do? And that looks different for everyone. And I really believe that we should not be delegating until we are clear on those two things. Because when we're clear, then it becomes really clear to us all the other things we're spending our time on that are not that. And if we know what we're trying to redirect our time towards, We won't just like refill the time we're freeing up by delegation with more and more stuff that really never moves the needle for us. So I actually want to go in that direction for a moment. So what is the cost of not figuring out your impact? Because you have worked with a ton of clients, some of whom I know, because you actually talk about an example in the book, you know, (laughs) who hire an assistant or, you know, probably hire you and they kind of flame out is the best thing or they they haven't got quite all their ducks in a row in order to be able to make a success of it so you've seen what happens because we're going to talk about mindset as well as strategy execution you've seen how people you know get in their own way and what doesn't work so what gets in the way what doesn't work for people what's the cost of not knowing their impact not knowing their why well i feel like we just never realize our full potential And the faster that one, you understand what it is, and then two, you build up the guardrails to protect your time for those activities, the faster you're going to get there, because then it's like all the other stuff sort of fades away and it like it needs to get done and it gives you a roadmap to get you from here to there. Right. And you tap into the emotions. Like, I love it because this is not just a head intellectual cognitive explanation of delegation. This is a very heart-based and from a Colby standpoint, will-based. It's like this really engages all of you. Mm-hmm. And you talk about what it feels like when you're doing certain types of activities. And, and frankly, it gave me some new insight, which I thought, I kind of think I know some of this stuff already. <laughs> but it was like, oh, yeah, what really inspires me? How, what really pulls me forward? What do I need to protect my time for? That was a really cool framework for me to think, okay, this, not just what I'm used to doing as what I would consider to be a focus activity, what have you, what will I be doing will actually have the biggest impact for the audience that I care most about, that I want to make a difference for, that I want to have an impact for. And that was insightful. You know, you put a different emotional lens on it that made it more meaningful. Yeah, the first third of the book is mindset. And so I spent a large chunk doing what I consider really deep work. And there's, there's a lot of self-sabotaging thoughts and self-limiting beliefs that we tell ourselves when it comes to 
why we don't want to let go. And the stories in the book are culminations of all the clients we've worked with and all the things we've heard. So they really are, you know, true stories of people and where they got hung up. But there's like things that we tell ourselves. And these are real things people have said in our delegation courses, for example, like, I feel guilty asking other people to help me, or I hate structure, or I secretly love the energy I create by making a mess, or I'm scared that someone's going to think I'm a fraud if they're doing the same thing that I'm doing, and I haven't earned this freedom yet. So there's all these like real statements that are really the foundational part of delegation that I think get glossed over. And that's why I made it such a huge part of the book. Yeah. And you go through the five reasons we self-sabotage, mm-hmm. right? And you can go, oh, done that, done that. Mm-hmm. Probably done that one a time or two. Like, it's really interesting. And you get into the minds. And as someone who created the strategic coach team program, I've heard the same conversations. And it's like, check, yeah, check. totally. <laughs> and working with the team members, they're like, oh, we, you know, it's usually he, he says he wants to give it to me, but doesn't really, it's got the death grip on delegation. And Mm -hmm. yes, I am got a death grip on a baton right now, (laughs) or this happens too. She just changes her mind all the time and won't stick to something. And you talk about some really, you have all these amazing lists in the book, (laughs) the five golden (laughs) rules, right? the five Mm -hmm. bottleneck behaviors, you know, so you really help someone explore themselves and their relationship to delegation so they can be successful at it, which is really cool. That is a hundred percent my goal. So you just nailed it on the head. Yay. I love when that happens. <laughs> so just talk for a moment, because you have a calculation for when someone is doing work, like the value of the work that they're doing. You have a calculation in the book, which is really interesting. You don't you can just talk about it. You can just give it away necessarily because that's what they should buy the book for. <laughs> but it's really interesting because then you're like, oh, then you get to look at the amount of money that you can generate. And then you get to compare the quality of the work that you're doing. So let's talk about that for a moment because that was such a tangible, visceral way to understand. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not being very strategic about this. Interesting. Yeah, the, the calculation is really around how you value your time. And so the math on it is, what do you pay yourself annually divided by 20, 80 hours? And it's usually some exorbitant number. And so I kind of say the inverse of what you were saying, which is, I say, that's how much you're paying yourself to do work you hate, and you're not good at. (laughs) I mean, and then when you put that lens over, I could probably spend a third and have someone who really likes doing this work and feels empowered by this work. And it costs me two thirds less. And I could take that money and reinvest it in things that really light me up. And they'll probably do a better job. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I sort of make fun or tease. It's really with love. So it's teasing. I tease our clients all the time. It's like, and you and I have a similar expression. If you don't have an assistant, you are one. Right. And I'm like, and you are probably way too highly paid for the quality of work that you're doing right now. Yep. I mean, some of them calculate their number and it's, a very large number, mm-hmm. you know, even if they work 20, 80 hours a week or, not, or a year or not, and it's like, oh, like $500 an hour was more of the calculations. I'm like, I'm opening a mail for $500 an hour, <laughs> you know, or I'm going through my email or I'm doing my airline booking or whatever it is that they're doing. And it's like, oh man, you know, it's kind of funny, but that's, it's a bit of a wake up call when you actually do that. Yes. Yeah, so you're paying yourself a lot for things you don't like doing, and for sure someone else could do better. And you're not making the impact that you originally set out to make because now you're just caught up in all the busyness. And I talk a lot about how we attribute sometimes our value to feeling so busy, which was never why we we started our companies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's a comfort in that, is there not? When you're just busy? 100%. Okay, so let's talk about that because I think that is one of the ways that people hold themselves back a lot because sometimes growing and making an impact is scary and it's way more comfortable just to hang out, just say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, but then they never get to their goals and you you and I have both run into this a ton. Yeah, I mean, we start to attribute our value because our team's like, oh, he's too busy to bother him with that or and then like we feel sometimes like, well, if someone else is doing it, then I'm not special anymore because I'm the one that's doing it. Or, well, they're so busy. I don't want to ask them to do it. I'm so guilty of that one because I have that visibility to my team of assistants. I know they're really busy. So 
that one will hold me back a lot. <laughs> Just for fun, what's the strategy for that? I mean, how, if it happens to you, someone who's a master at this whole process, how do you shift your thinking or do you just hire somebody? I don't know what the answer is, but how do you handle that one? Yeah. I mean, it happened to me with Georgia. So Georgia's been my assistant for eight years now. She's now on our leadership team. It's not the best use of her time to be my assistant. (laughs) So, and I really, as I was writing this book, I took a rock that like, Hey, I'm going to use our service as a client and get that experience and then be able to structure that experience into the book. Nice. So yeah, I've been using my own service. And so we sell time basically. So I know I have this much time per week. And so we always start with the goals and priorities, right? So whatever they're helping me with has to be moving stuff forward. It can't just be like the busy stuff. Anything that's a repeatable I always am looking for that because that's something I can hand off because it becomes a process. Mm -hmm. And then I do a ton of personal delegation. So they help me like with booking the movers and all the other things that are going on for me personally right now. Ooh, that kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. (laughs) And I think that's a real breakthrough for a lot of people. I mean, you know, we have a a good percentage of women entrepreneurs in in the program. And when, when they can wrap their heads around, oh, I can do this at home too. It's really fun to see. But then more and more of our male clients, I found like, you know, someone recently just hired a housekeeper for their home to look after the two of them and their one small child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Life-changing. So helping get those things, because we do, as entrepreneurs, male or female, we manage a lot. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of different things in our mind. And just having someone else be your team of who's, you know, strategic coach who, not how. It's so powerful. And if you're not the right who, you need to find someone who is. And that's really, you're the who finder. <laughs> which, that's right. Which is really powerful. So I, I love this. So, but again, it's not just for you, the entrepreneur, right? You want to be freed up to make your biggest impact, but just like you did with Georgia, she's on your leadership team. Mm-hmm. So supporting you to that level. So let's talk about elevating other team members and freeing them up. Because it's kind of a bit of an aha moment. I remember when Dan's like, it may not be that you need another assistant. Maybe it's that your assistant needs an assistant. Yeah, that's what we did. should have seen people's eyes get really wide. They're like, oh, never occurred to them in a million years. So let's talk about that. And this is partly why I'm so excited about your book, Emily, is because I want to hand this out to everyone in the team leader program because I'm like, this is how you do it, mm-hmm. right? This is the mindset. This is the thinking. These are the tools. These are the structures. Here's the do's. Here's the don'ts. You give a soup to nuts prescription, but this is how to actually have a culture of delegation, not just a one-off. Yeah. I mean, why should having your time elevated just be limited to you? Why wouldn't we want to see that as a cultural part of our teams that we're all embracing this idea that we're all here to spend our time doing work that we love. And that might be different for you and for me, whatever it is. But I think number one is you have to master this. Mm -hmm. Then you get your leadership team to master it. Then your management team to master it. And you just keep cascading it through the whole organization till like the busy work is out the door. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, you know, I was keeping front of mind when I was writing this book is the concept that you guys teach around safety economy right? So our teams live in, this is strategic coach, probably 501, I don't even know. Our teams live in a safety economy and we live in a risk economy. And so they need to feel really secure when you start pushing this further and further through the company. Yes. You know, they need to feel like, okay, I'm allowed to do this or like I'm encouraged to do this. And me being busy all the time, looking really busy is really not the measure of my success. Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset shift for the whole company. And that is a huge mindset shift. And I've been attempting to coach this in my leadership program, strategic coach team leader program forever, because it's it's an identity issue. It's a security issue. As you talk about, they have a really hard time. It's like, if I'm not doing all the things I've been doing that got me here, and I, you know, I always liken it to the metaphor of letting go of one trapeze to grab the next, that space in between is not very comfortable for people. But recognizing that they actually do have an elevated role and their entrepreneurs are often desperate. Again, these are leaders in companies that I'm coaching and entrepreneurs are desperate to have more of that person's brain and mind and expertise and insight mm-hmm. on those bigger, higher level issues. But the person's still hanging on to stuff that they've always done. 
And and entrepreneurs are sensitive to whether or not people are overworked. And they're like, oh, so there's this tension and this struggle that I see all the time. And it's baby steps. I mean, I think you don't just flip the switch on this kind of culture. This is a progression to get there. But if as the leaders, you're leading by example and you're encouraging it and they have the authority and the autonomy to make these kind of choices in their day, like think about the retention that you're going to have because people are loving the work that they're doing. They have freedom and autonomy over their time and the company's making a bigger impact. So it really is like a fascinating way to think about delegation in real life. Ooh, delegation in real life. I love that. (laughs) So tell me, where have you seen this? Where have you seen someone go from a kind of very traditional, haphazard, not terribly successful you know, delegator to someone who actually mastered it and put it into their company. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I give an example of this person, Tom, in the book. And Tom is a culmination of all the entrepreneurs I've spoken to. (laughs) It's not just one person. But, you know, Tom takes over the business from his dad. He really has no vision, but he is, you know, works his butt off and he's like super energized by being needed all the time, putting out the fires. And then His father passes away and he now inherits this business and he finds himself in this visionary CEO seat, but he has no vision because he's never thought about it. He was just doing, doing, doing. And like I worked through sort of his story through the book, but ultimately his most impactful contribution is building out a really crazy great team. So he finds his way through that. And at the end of the day, when I hypothetically ask him this question at the end of the story, it's like, what did you learn? Well, he learned that he needs to get out of everybody's way. And so that's a big part of delegation is like the security in yourself to like continue to let go and let the team just sort of like own their roles and be there to coach them and lead them. And that's definitely where I'm at in my business. Like really when you're having a self-managing company, that's what this is about. (laughs) You're no longer like doing everything. Well, it's interesting. As you say that, it really speaks to something that Dan talks about a lot. He says, you want to be in charge, not in control. Yeah. You know, in charge means that you're the power source, right? You are charging people up with vision, with energy, with excitement, with morale, momentum, motivation. You know, that's your job as a leader, not to be in control of everything. So letting go of that control baton is challenging, but then you can actually have that self-managing, self-multiplying company. And I thought it was really interesting that you chose a family business. Yeah. (laughs) Because the culture of dad, in this case, who would kind of tease or make fun of Tom for not working hard enough or slacking when he wasn't running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Mentality, yep. Yeah, and that's tough. And I see that, I mean, a crazy proportion of U.S. businesses, American, probably North American businesses are family owned. I had no idea. And we do inherit some of these non-delegation mindsets from previous generations, right? Yeah. I mean, it's cultural. It has to do with like your identity. It has to do with your family history. Like all these reasons that we have hard time with delegation really have nothing to do with delegation. It's really just about, you know, our own crap that we're bringing to the table. Oh my God. (laughs) It's so true. When we can get her out of her own way, it's amazing. And Tom did have a happy ending, which was really good. Yeah, he had this amazing company where people were, you know, growing and thriving and, and he was in the leadership seat firmly, did have a vision, all of those things. And that's what's possible. And I think you do a fabulous job of coaching people very nicely to kind of crawl back from some of those other mindsets that just were not super helpful not serving you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's jump into, you have a really cool part of the book where you talk about discipline, art, and the science of delegation, which is very rich. We'll only be able to touch on certain parts of it, but talk about those three things. Cause I thought you just broke it out in a very interesting way that I, I would never have gotten the distinctions that you have put together in this section. Yeah, I think that there's three parts to delegating well. And the discipline is like your own commitment. So it's a lot of this mindset work. It's about seeing a delegation through. Like we all like have a million ideas all the time and our team's just busy trying to get those done and we're throwing more ideas at them and guilty. You know, I've done all of these things. This is why I can write about it. So that's the discipline part. 
The art part is figuring out what to delegate. And so when you're really clear what you want to spend your time on, you can see all the things that you don't. And so putting a plan together, like a delegation strategy is what we would call it, of all the different things that you're going to let go of. And then the science is how you're getting it from your plate to someone else's. And so, you know, strategic coach, huge fan, impact filters. I mean, we are obsessed with impact filters, but right, good. they are the single best tool for delegation out there because you really have to think through what success looks like. And so many times we don't even take it that far. We're just like so excited about our ideas. And yet like we don't have the commitment to actually sit there and like flesh it out. Well, guess what? How's anyone going to execute on that when you're not even clear what success looks like? Uh, so clear. The whole asking yourself the question, what does it look like when it's done and done well? Oh my gosh. And you have another thing that you say in the book, delegate the result. The end result. Yeah. Delegate the end result. Dele- delegate the how, because your how is going to be different than someone else's how. And I think that was such a brilliant statement. Before we even get into some of the science, though, there's something else about the art that I want to talk about. And it's one mindset that if I could undo... I would. And that is that if I don't like the activity, that must mean that it's a crap activity and no one else wants to do it either. Yeah, exactly. Let's disabuse people of that notion, shall we? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you ask my team, a team of admins, I mean, they would hate to do what you and I are doing right now. They would hate it. They don't want to have to go near this kind of activity. But, you know, I'm like, oh, schedule this, book this, do this, do that obsessed. Like they love the clarity and the neatness of that sort of thing. So there are people who love to do administrivia Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be you and that's okay. Yes. And I know enough, but you have, again, you have to get a little bit out of your own head enough to know that, oh, just because I don't like it or I find it energy draining doesn't mean that other people do too. You know, I've seen people, well, people work with me, they light up with the opportunity to schedule. My old, well, strategic support partner was my title for her, our title for her. And she's gone off to her new career, which is exciting. She didn't leave to become someone else's assistant. She went to launch her new yoga career. She's brilliant at it. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, I know. She's amazing. But she taught me so much, so much <laughs> how to be a good, much better at delegating than I was. So she trained me. Mm-hmm. But she would schedule to calm down. Yeah. Well, if I schedule, I get... I'm not an anxious person, but I get anxious because I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Like I can do one exchange and then I'm done. You know, and often it takes more than that. So that whole idea, and this is why things like Colby profiles are super helpful or Clifton Strengths. Colby's great because it tells you how people's mental energy plays out and it just explains so much. Mm-hmm. And appreciating that. Like I know I'm good at creating chaos. Thank God I'm surrounded by people who love creating <laughs> chaos and fires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when we can actually just look at ourselves and appreciate our own contribution and impact, it allows us, instead of assuming that everyone should be the same, it allows us then to also appreciate other people's unique abilities in the coach world and how they can contribute and understand how complementary they can be. So again, we need each other. I mean, that's what makes work so interesting is like, we love to do this. There's a team behind you that's going to put this podcast out. Then there's a marketing team that loves marketing it. And then, you know, there's just so many people doing what they love to do is what makes this whole thing very successful. And I think that's one of the other things that you have really added to the conversation is that point that there are people out there who love to do the things that you don't, that love to do administrivia. They consider it fulfilling and useful in practical work. And Lord knows it is because otherwise I wouldn't be anywhere where I'm supposed to be on time. We can't live without them, right? No, no. But we can do them a disservice if we speak critically or harshly Mm. about that kind of role and don't give it its due. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it, people would love to do stuff for us if we just didn't talk so poorly about it, right? (laughs) You know, they're like, oh, I'll clean up your messes, but not if you say something nasty. (laughs) Like anyone can do this. Like, no, no, they can't actually. So filing comes to mind, you know, so it's really important. We just give a just deep appreciation for people whose skills are complementary to ours. That's yeah. And have a really healthy, I mean, when you talk about building confidence with delegation, you need to be able to give and receive the feedback yes. from your team. And if you build that into a weekly agenda with your team member that's supporting you, it just becomes a really normal, healthy exchange. Mm-hmm. What worked, what didn't work, you know, what are we going to do different next time? Yeah. And to me, like I'm at that stage of growing my business where 
All I care about is what did we learn? Mm. Something broke. What did we learn? Yeah. Like that's gold. So yeah. And you're not playing the blame game. It's like, oh, I could have probably communicated better or oops, we missed a step or whatever. It doesn't have to be a big deal as long as you're always getting better. So let's jump into some of the science now that we've addressed my biggest issue with the art of <laughs> This is the process by which you do it. And you you laid out some examples that I highlighted the entire page and a half. <laughs> so Emily, going back to your model of disciplined art and science, now that we tackled art and the part that <laughs> bothers me the most, all right, concerns me the most when I see people just not looking at things the way that I think makes sense. You have something in the discipline section uh, really about the three behaviors of a disciplined leader. And most entrepreneurs I know wouldn't use the word discipline to apply to themselves. But I, when I read them, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what you're talking about. And it's just kind of habits or mindsets or ways of thinking that allow you to be successful. So let's dive into those. Number one is they respect systems and assigned seats. Yeah. So everybody who's been building a business knows that the way that you successfully grow a company is strong systems and getting out of people's way. So it's one about respecting systems and and appreciating them for the clarity that they're going to bring your team who has to now execute on these ideas and then staying out of their way, which has to do with like, that's their job, not your job and really accepting that and promoting that. Awesome. That's that respect part. Number two, they're willing to be held accountable. So this is what you were just referring to. It's, you know, have that open communication, right? Yep. And stay in your lane. I'm constantly getting my hand slapped, like, don't get in the middle of it, right? (laughs) That's a hard phase of business growth, by the way. (laughs) But it's part of it, especially if your goal and your vision is self-managing company. But it's not just about like you holding your team accountable, but you being willing to be held accountable. And as visionaries, that's a really hard one because we're like, but I really love this idea and I want to work on that and I need to be free. And it's like, well, you already set the plan for the quarter. So if you're going to do that, it's got to be on top of what you're already committed to. Because one of the things that I've seen is that when we as leaders are busy creating and ideating, our teams are busy in execution. And so there's this friction that happens when they're kind of like, they're hearing your ideas and all they're thinking is, oh my God, now I have to do this. What does she mean by that? Or when is this done? And like, it creates this like total roadblock for the whole team. Oh, that would be guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. And this is also your point number three, which is 100% the one that would trip me up, which is they temper, well, the one that I struggle with the most, let me put it that way. They temper themselves and their new ideas for the greater good of their vision. Yeah. So this is what I was just speaking about. But if we can't create a plan and stick to it, you know, how can we ask that of our teams? And so just regulating ourselves when it comes to... (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm reading this line. This intentional commitment to not chase shiny objects once the plan is set creates a culture of focus and discipline. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs to master is, is really staying the course. And I think, you know, there's a blend of like our ability, as you guys would say, you know, to see the future, right? Like, We can see what's coming because we're out of the business more and more. We have better visibility. But, you know, when we set our rocks, like we will not not get our rocks done. You know, it's like you got to see those things through. Wow. That's amazing. And that's when you get per EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, that's when you get traction. Because we're not distracting and disturbing people from their executing. They're actually getting to get it done. But you have time to really hash out which projects are the rocks to get them lined up. So that is where your vision comes in. Then you just have to get out of the way. (laughs) And we won't go into all of these, but you have five bottleneck behaviors of leaders. So you know your audience so well, Emily. It's so fun. You've got hero, interventionist, isolationist, time optimist, sign me up, and dreamer. (laughs) That's my number one, by the way. <laughs> I, think it's, I think anyone who's positive has this behavior because we just like we're glass half full people. And like we always think we have more capacity than is actually real. A hundred percent. And it's like if I have to estimate how much time I think things take, it's easily half to a quarter of reality, mostly because I'm not even paying attention to all the steps that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it takes that long. 
Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, and you have little quizzes so you can figure out which one you are, which is super fun. This book is fun. That's the other thing about this. You're like, oh yeah, that'd be, oh yeah, that'd be so-and-so. You can just like names come to mind as you are reading it. It was really important to me that no one reads this book and just feels like crap about themselves. (laughs) So like, it's really just, I think we're creating awareness, awareness of behaviors, awareness of activities. Well, and self-awareness is something that's super important to both of us. And that is so huge because then, then you have language and you have awareness and well, obviously, and you can, you can make changes or you can shift and then you can be aware of how you interact with other people. If you are oblivious about yourself, you're a bull in a china shop of the world. So the first third of the book is all about mindset and you will not get through the first third of the book without having to do some deep work, looking at yourself and some of your behaviors, which, you know, our thoughts create our reality. And so if we can really overcome our own limiting beliefs, then that's really where the transformation happens. Mm, So exciting. I love it. And then you give strategies for all of them. So you don't leave anyone stuck. (laughs) This is about awareness and how to grow, not to make anyone bad or put them in what we call the gap or anything like that. So it's very supportive and very positive. Awesome. So what should we talk about next in our last few minutes? Because you have some great strategies in your science part. There's tons more even in the art. So Emily, we've talked about discipline. We've talked a little bit about the art. Let's go to the science because again, I'm kind of doing the high level overview here, but there's so much good stuff. You've got the five golden rules of successful delegation. Let's just rhyme those off because I think those are brilliant. And then there's one example that I have to have you share on scheduling it. Some of the best people should just write down these pages and do them because they're so good. You've just nailed it on how to schedule something really well, which I think is, it's not obvious. And it to your assistant. Don't do it. Yes, perfect. So let's go through the five golden rules of successful delegation. And at least on my book, it's page 103. If anyone wants to flip to that page. So Emily, let's go through those because I think those will be interesting. Yep. Always delegate the end result. So an impact filter is an incredible tool to do this with because it's going to force you to think about what success looks like. And then if you can share why the project is important to you, that really helps the person supporting you really wrap their head around the whole project. I mean, I'm going to jump in because if someone's not a coach client and they're listening to this, you can learn more about the impact filter actually through most of our downloads. We'll have it. So you can go to strategiccoach.com or the book, The Extraordinary Impact Filter, a whole short book about it. There's downloads included with that is available also at strategiccoach.com on our store. It's not available on Amazon just so you know. So that's where to find it. So if you want lots more information about the tool that Emily's talking about, then go there. <laughs> Would be my recommendation. Yeah, it's already done for you. Like it's idiot proof. You just fill it in <laughs> and give it to someone. And then number two, feedback's a must. So again, we talked a lot about giving and receiving feedback. And if you can share with the person that you're delegating with why it was helpful, that just really builds foundation around having a really productive relationship. Start small to build confidence is number three. So I like this one because if we can lay some groundwork and have some delegations that go really well, we can shift our mindset around how we think about delegation. So you can use some repeatables in this step. You can have some low-hanging fruit delegation. So order me a limo for Friday night to take my wife to dinner, whatever. Low-hanging fruit. And, you know, grab the small wins. That still is time saved and it, it helps you build confidence. Nice. Number four, get comfortable with 80%. So we use the 80-20 rule a couple different ways here. You can think about it as someone doing 80% of the work, you doing the last 20%, which is a great way to like compartmentalize larger things like scheduling down into let's use a tool just for this part of scheduling, or you can do this part of scheduling for me. So 80-20 can also be around if it's done 80% as well as I would want to see it. Is that nice? Yeah. Yeah. And 80% is my, it's kind of my minimum criteria. So it doesn't have to be a hundred. I don't consider myself to be a perfectionist. A few physical quality things might fall under that mostly, (laughs) but I want 80%. 80% is what works Sometimes the amount of time or money spent on the last 20%. So getting to 80% could take two hours. Getting to 100% could take 22 hours. Yeah. Was it actually worth it? Yeah. 
Your audience may not care. So I think that 80% rule is really wise on, there's again, lots of different ways to slice it, but I do think that's such great coaching. And I think it's weird because sometimes we don't hold ourselves to that 100% standard, but when we're delegating it, we do. <laughs> right? Like, oh no, no, you have to do it perfectly. You have to do it a million times better than I would. When truthfully, if they do it 80% as well, or you know, 80% as well as it needs to get done, mm-hmm. it's more than fine. So that's such a great point. And sometimes, you know, I use this strategy with this one all the time. Just having your team start something for you is a win. Because then it's like, there's a little bit of guilt. You're like, oh crap, George has already gone in and set all this up and she spent time doing this. I just need to go in and do my part. (laughs) So it's a great strategy to build some pressure for yourself. Well, and a lot of us too are better at editing than we are at coming up with it. Like starting with a blank page writing you would know this is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone else can just put a few thoughts down, like sometimes someone will draft an email and I was, I'll be like, oh, that clarifies my thinking because I want to say it completely differently, but I couldn't have got there unless they did that first 80%. So yes, that is such a great point. Yeah, I do that one all the time. And then number five, commit to the boring stuff. So this one's a little hard to hear, but you know, the boring stuff takes up at least half your business. And it's really important because it's what allows you to deliver what you do in a really effective way. And because it's not a competence for you, or it's not part of your vision, ignoring it is never the right answer. So commit to having someone that owns the boring stuff in your business. And that, you know, your own commitment to the process of delegation is really critical. And it might take, like you were talking about, many iterations of an administrative process to get to the right answer. But, you know, we can't ignore this part of our business because it's like boring to us. I think that's such a key point. There's one of Dan's models, which is called the ABC model. It's there's parts of your business that are irritating. There are parts that are okay. And there are parts that are fascinating and motivating. We love to hang out in fascinating and motivating. That's like food. That's where we're excited. That's where our future is, all the things. But the okay part, frankly, that's where the cash gets made. That's where the money is. Now, do we want to get rid of irritating? Yes, of course we do. That's the first, that's the low hanging fruit you talk about. But the okay stuff, frankly, is the day-to-day running of your business. So it might be boring, but it also is cash flow, which all of us are usually really big fans of. So I think appreciating that that boring, okay stuff actually puts food on the table for a lot of people is astute and wise to look at it that way. Yeah. I mean, imagine if, if strategic coach was just Dan pontificating and sharing ideas, like you can grow that kind of business, but when you're turning it into a system and you have people just organizing it and like, that is where the magic is happening. So it's a critical part that we just cannot ignore. Or we have to have people that love doing those kinds of things. Yeah. And the cool thing is they don't think it's boring. (laughs) It'd be boring for you. Doesn't mean it's boring for somebody else. I love it. Then, as I said, you have this fabulous golden rules in real life, This the fabulous example of scheduling. Can I just share some wisdom? Can I just quote you in this book? Because it's so good. And this is like setting up the success criteria. Like, what does it look like when it's done and done well? So in here, I I was reading it to you this morning because I thought it was so good. In order for my scheduling to be successfully handed off, the following must be true. And it is completely appropriate to have standards here. If you're listening, it's really important, actually. Otherwise, you're making people read your mind. They, they can't, and nor do you really want them to. So here's the deal. Meeting confirmations are happening one day prior to avoid last-minute cancellations. Scheduling conversations are responded to twice per day. Three, we always offer at least three slots, time slots when possible. Four, we always include our time zone when we send options, because that's a good area for mess, potential for it. I have 15-minute buffer time between each meeting. I actually coached someone on that and then she implemented it and I didn't. And that was, <laughs> I have at least a half hour lunch at midday. Like this is number six and there are 10, mm-hmm. right? Just an example. But yes. Just an example. And then the, you also put the whys in there. Why this project is important to me because my time is my most valuable asset is number one. And then there's a bunch of other ones. <laughs> right? Like you just lay it out so brilliantly and I'm like, I want everyone I know to read this. <laughs> I highlighted the entire page and a half, just oh, that's saying. Funny. Yeah, so it's key. And so if anyone wants to know how to schedule, it's on page 107 in my copy. <laughs> so it's already got there. And it's so useful. And I, to your point earlier, 
It's key because, first of all, you're laying out your standard, which you may not have even been clear about until you wrote it down. It might take a few tries. To, it's like, oh, I forgot. To, I forgot. Yeah, I need half hour lunch. <laughs> that may not have been your first version of busy in your day. But then also, it just gives such clarity to the, to the person so they're not guessing. Mm-hmm. You've empowered them to do a really good job and to make the impact that they want to make when you have laid out this success criteria. So again, it's such a perfect example with a lot of wisdom built right in, just saying. And it actually is part of your delegate solutions process, correct? Yeah, I actually took it from what our team uses <laughs> to work with clients. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> That's good. It's yeah. a great example because like so many people when they say, oh, I can never let go of scheduling or I hate scheduling. Break it down. What are some small things, some small steps that someone could take over for you? Yeah, exactly. So key. All right. Well, I feel like we've teased people with a lot of really good (laughs) info, which I clearly want you to go and get. So anything else they should know about the book before we tell them where to go and get some goodies and all the things. So what? anything else in the book that people can really look forward to. Like you've got the delegate freedom system. You've got all sorts of great other takeaways in the book. We're not even done talking about the whole thing. Yeah, we have tons of tools and those are all going to live on our website that we're building, letitgodelegationbook.com. So there's going to be lots of stuff for you to grab there. But I think I give you one big takeaway of the book, like delegation is deep work. And until you really hit the nerve on some of this stuff, you may never really feel the true power of how delegation is a way to manage your energy, which is the most important thing we have. So. Right. Oh, that's such a good point. Mm. <laughs> I love it. There's even a mindset scorecard in here. <laughs> yeah. But back to your point, it is deep work. And I think when we start to really appreciate what it is, because again, it looks like a to-do, it looks like another chore on your to-do list, which is why most people avoid it. But when you really do get the essence of what you know your impact is and what you're spending your time doing and what you could spend your time doing better mm-hmm. or doing more of, and who can you surround yourself who's fabulous at the things that you're not? And how can you have that system? You know, How can you execute on that system? And how can you have other people around you? It's not it's not just you. It's not that you're like king or queen bee. You know, I get to delegate, but you don't. No, no, no. Right. This is everyone elevating to do their highest and best impact. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's going to be a very successful company. <laughs> exactly. You're not having people do work they really don't enjoy doing. They're all doing stuff in our terminology with their unique or excellent at. They're all inspired. They've all got this awesome team of who's working with people who actually enjoy their work very different culture than most companies. There's freedom and permission for growth that isn't in most. And you talk about this even at the very beginning. It's a retention strategy and it's so much more too. It's a freedom strategy, ultimately in a growth strategy. Yeah. And there's a tool on the website that you can give to some of your key team members. You can do it yourself. It's called the Elevated Week. And it's a great way to start that conversation because it's going to tie, what are they spending their time on now? How do they feel about it? What would an elevated version of their week look like? What kind of impact could they have? And that's a really great tool that they can give to their bosses to have a conversation around elevating their time. So it's sort of, you know, available to you on the website if you want a tool like that. I'm going to give the website in a second, but I highlighted this page also. (laughs) This is an opportunity for a leadership shift, Mm -hmm. right? And you say, until this moment of you making this bold leadership shift, I've actually never quoted someone's book in the interview before. Just saying. <laughs> you have created and led by example a culture of busy equals productive. Your team will absolutely be scared of a new dynamic of impact equals value. But impact equals value is a culture shift. Mind blowing. Yeah. And that's not the norm, but it's incredibly powerful. And I happen to think in our new, less hierarchical, more networked world, this is actually what will be the norm. Yeah. Might as well get a jump on it. That's right. And it's actually, if you have a unique ability, this is probably how your brain, well, if you're aware of your unique ability and you want unique ability teamwork, this is going to be kind of your mindset anyway, but it's important to realize that other people have not grown up and been raised with this. So this is how you can start creating this incredible culture of delegation. Oh my gosh, so much good stuff. All right, so let's talk about the website, which I think is really cool. So it's letitgodelegationbook.com, correct? Yeah. And I believe you have, if people put in team success, 
there'll be some extra special goodies for you, which is very fun. So thank you very much for making that offer. But you know, if you go to letitgodelegationbook.com, this is where so much of the magic is. So obviously grab the book. And not only that, don't just grab it for you, but please grab it for your team, for your leadership especially, because that's the only way. They have to hear it firsthand. Have them listen to this interview, right? Because that's what's actually going to go, oh, there is a different way of thinking about this. Exactly. This is really what you, he or she, you know, wants. Hmm, what's that mean for me? So until everyone's in that same conversation, it's going to be much harder. So one of the ways to get it into people's minds, share this conversation, get them the copy of the book, download the tools. Again, let it go, delegationbook.com. <laughs> That's how we're going to get there. And then everyone gets that freedom of time that we're also hungry for. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's there's on, still so much more. <laughs> it's on Amazon too, if that's easier. But all the different tools and resources will be at that URL. Fantastic. All right. So Amazon, let it go, delegationbook.com, all the good things. So Emily, thank you, thank you, thank you. One of the reasons why I enjoy our conversation so much is we are both passionate about the same people and about the same processes of entrepreneurs and their teams being the happiest, the most fulfilled, the most impactful, the most you know productive and profitable they can possibly be. Yeah. And you're a kindred spirit in that. And you have produced an incredible, as I said, so articulate and so wise, you. you know, book that just lays it out in such a gracious, insightful, and not just boring, heady manner. You know what I mean? It, it gets at all of you, which is why I appreciate it so much. So thanks for being my partner, <laughs> my buddy in this. Any last words? No, I think you're all here to make an impact and delegation is the path that's going to let you make more of an impact. So I think ignoring it because you don't like it or don't understand it is not serving you or your vision. So this is a a gentle, loving touch, process-driven mindset shift that people can work on. And a call to action, which I also love. Emily, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Always a pleasure. And I know we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a ton of takeaways from this conversation with Emily. Again, so much wisdom there. Please go grab the book. Seriously, it will be on my recommended reading list. So if I've curated it, you know it's something I'm really passionate about. So again, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please let me know at questions at strategiccoach.com. And as always, here's to your team success. Mm -hmm.